0: friends, homeboys, someone and some we, wish we, we
1: wish we never knew at all, homegirls, we are now listening to the Whip Cream Podcast with Bianca Harris and Chantel Chalvin, and we wish we never knew at all, homeboys, say someone and we wish we never
0: knew at all, homeboys,
1: hey guys, welcome back to the podcast, Saturday, hope everyone is safe, healthy, staying at home, finding different things to occupy their time um just wanted to let you guys know that um chantal and i are offering a lot of different virtual online classes uh chantal has the trauma of money and um whip is um, offering online meditation classes so if you didn't know that um please check out our instagrams um, because there's a lot of different offerings if you're feeling like you need to kind of get a sense of community and get back in the game. Um, even if it's just like, you know, one class a day or one class a week, whatever, whatever works. Um, so yeah, keep in touch with our Instagrams and you'll find out all the info there. In today's episode we have Megan Campbell who is a self-advocacy and boundaries coach. And you can check out her Instagram at Megan Talks I thought today's conversation, Chantel and I both thought today's conversation was really, really, really amazing. Um, A lot of insight that you don't know already kind of just is reinforced. I mean, what I mean is, for me, I just really needed to hear this today, especially with everything that's going on, you know, different relationships and stuff can be challenging in your life because you're stuck within close quarters. Um, and even if you're not just really great um, information about how to set boundaries what boundaries really are um, and just a deep dive into you know how to how how to navigate relationships and how to navigate life and yeah really amazing talk and hope you guys enjoy it here we go Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we have an amazing guest as always today. Megan Campbell, thank you so much for being on.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I love this podcast so much and I'm thrilled. Yay! That's awesome.
3: <laughs> oh, We're so grateful to have Megan here. Uh, her Instagram is at Megan Talks and she talks a lot about one of my favorite topics. Um, it's one of my favorite topics because I really lack this. It's called boundaries.
1: <laughs> You're not alone in that. Yeah, yeah. So where can we start? I was just saying off air before we before we started recording that like the term boundaries um, and it's what it actually means is like a very new thing in my life. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that I kind of discovered during a therapy session, maybe like a year and a half ago. And it was so funny to me because it seems like something that's obvious, but I was like, oh, boundaries, that's, I didn't even think about that. Like it was in terms of like romantic relationships. And I was like, Mm. oh, I was just expecting them to read my mind. (laughs) They didn't know that I had all these boundaries. They didn't (laughs) telepathically understand this. So something that I started um really noticing, I, I, it was brought to my attention through that like intimate lens, but then mm-hmm. I started noticing it in a lot more areas in my life where I thought yeah. I had these boundaries set up, but I didn't. Um, so why don't we start with like, what, what, what do you define as a boundary? Yeah.
2: First of all, thank you for acknowledging that because it is a relatively new term. It's an idea that we've only really begun to explore in depth which is quite illuminating when you look at the definition of what boundaries are which in a very black and white sense is their guidelines their rules or their limits that a person creates for themselves that identify the acceptable or the safe or the permissible ways for other people to behave towards them and how they'll respond if and when lines are crossed So it's basically you deciding for yourself what's okay and what's not, what you'll tolerate and what you won't, what you're willing to be responsible for versus what doesn't belong to you and gaining clarity around those things based on your experience.
1: Well, the first thing that came to my mind because I was really listening to each and every word that you said, and you said when the lines are crossed. So does that in, does that imply that you wouldn't create a boundary if the lines weren't crossed? Like, do you just show up and then start creating boundaries? Or do you wait for a certain time <laughs> to be like, no, this is, where we're gonna, this is when I'm going to create this?
3: This is <laughs> such a good question, I think, for Megan, you to tell us a little bit about like why you became passionate about this work.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, <laughs> I had been working for nearly a decade in the world of learning and development i had been working with people in a training capacity and it was all within the world of business so i had done everything from working with people in customer facing roles you know how do you adjust yourself to suit another person's needs while still remaining authentic all the way to a call center you know how can you navigate conflict in a way that's very respectful and professional and i had all this training under my belt I had all this experience and then I wound up in an abusive relationship and I'm laughing about it because I remember how incredulous I felt when I finally faced that fact. And I say I finally faced it because it took a very patient counselor and a very adamant therapist to convince me that what I had experienced was abuse. And I remember in that moment thinking, me? I I don't recognize myself as being somebody that could be subjected to this. I have this training and this experience. I'm paid to teach people how to navigate conflict. I teach people how to communicate. If you could have trained anybody to recognize and avoid this, it should have been me. And there was so much shame wrapped up in that. And I could have got lost in that, but luckily, I managed to pull myself out of that shame spiral by asking myself, well, what do you know now that you didn't before? And if you could go back in time and teach yourself the things that would have allowed you to reckon with this, recognize this and leave this sooner, what would those things be? And that's really how this work commenced. It's all the shit I wish I'd been taught in my formative years that I wasn't. And that is not to diminish the efforts that my parents made. I believe that they gave me everything and more. They did the best with what they knew. But a lot of the things we're going to talk about are the things that we're lacking in our formative development. So like Bianca's saying, I didn't even know what boundaries were prior to this conversation with a helping professional. For a lot of people, they're not on the radar. And they often do come into play when they've been encroached upon. So for the most part, boundaries only come up or are recognized when lines have been crossed. So they often are brought up out of a place of necessity. And I will say more often than not, because I think boundaries have a bit of a bad rep. Boundaries are brought up in an effort to preserve or maintain a relationship. When you realize that a behavior is causing a rift, that's fundamental. Yeah, I feel like I, I just talked a lot in response to one question, but does that?
1: No, it was, yeah, no, sorry. I, sorry, I was a little, I was just reflecting. Kind no. Of, yeah, no, that totally makes sense because I was just thinking about like anytime I've shown up to, again, I'm using the intimate relationship because that's what really rings true for me when it comes to boundaries. Yes. I've shown up to like a healthy relationship, you're right, I haven't had to create all of these boundaries no. in different areas because I didn't, the need wasn't there. So yeah, that really clarifies.
2: hmm And sometimes boundaries are, I don't like to use the word simple, but I'm using it in the place of the word easy because they're certainly not easy. Sometimes boundaries are as simple as saying no. They're saying no to a request. It's recognizing I don't have the capacity to do that or I'm not willing to do that and expressing that clearly without making excuses. So something that comes up a lot is the unspoken expectation that if you work a nine to five job, but your boss emails you at seven, You get back to them right away, regardless of what you're doing. Maybe a boundary could be created there. You will be responsible for your inbox up until 5.30 p.m., whatever the expectation is and has been set. And after that, that's your time. So sometimes those requests are saying no. And again, if it's your boss, maybe a conversation is needed if they're responsible for your employment and well-being. Um, Sometimes it's saying no to an invite. So sometimes boundaries are no. And other times, and I think this is more common, boundaries are what I like to call a navigation of normal. So when you're entering into a relationship with another autonomous human being, it's inevitable that you have slightly different versions of normal. And that extends to everything, to every facet of the relationship. How tidy you keep the bathroom. <laughs> and whether or not it's appropriate to raise your voice in conflict. Everybody, based on their own life experience, has their own unique version of normal. And when we don't know how to talk about that, when we've yet to fully recognize that, we can really bump into one another when we're trying to navigate, especially a new or an intimate relationship. So boundary setting is a way to start to navigate those normals. I can express clearly what's okay and what's not, and create some healthy parameters there without vilifying another person. Cause it's not about them being bad or them making the wrong choice. It's about clarifying for yourself. This is what's okay versus what's not. This is the parameter. And it's more about what you do when a line is crossed or encroached upon versus the expectation that you've set of somebody else.
1: I love that this is so tied into like taking responsibility because I feel like this a lot and talk about this a lot. I think what we do is we tend to expect the other person to know how we want them to behave or know that oh, they've yeah. a boundary that we've never even um, communicated. And then when they cross it, this boundary that we've never even said out loud, this conflict arises and then we blame them and we're no longer respons- responsible. We relinquish all the responsibility and they're the bad guy and I'm not, but they don't uh-huh. even know. um so it's it's, it is quite simple when you really break it down in that Mm -hmm. matter I think
3: yeah I also like how you said um when we create a boundary we're not like vilifying the other person Mm -hmm. and I heard this quote that I think really explains boundaries so well is a boundary is the place where you can love yourself and Mm -hmm. the other person at the same time yes you know cuz it does it protects the container of whatever relationship you're in
2: mhm absolutely and most people especially the people that you've welcomed into your life the people that you want around you they're more than willing to meet your needs and they want to know what you need in order to feel respected and good and valued and it's on us to communicate those things clearly and sometimes you won't know immediately sometimes somebody will encroach upon a line that you weren't even aware existed until someone pushed up against it and you might need a moment to say something about this doesn't feel right or that didn't land well and i need a moment to reflect upon why and if we don't take that pause that's when we can start to vilify and question character and start to make those grand sweeping gestures. You're so this. You always do that versus taking a minute to really think about what was the behavior that prompted this response in me and is my reaction something that I'm projecting? Like does that person's behavior remind me of someone that I have something unresolved with and this is actually for me to resolve elsewhere or no, was it really the behavior? And can I talk about that in a way that's clear and productive? Yeah, it takes a bit of time and space to really get wow. clear on these
3: boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, but I just love that. Like, is this behavior reminding me of something unresolved somewhere else? That's such a good point.
1: Mm-hmm. Especially it's intimate because, yeah, it's interesting because then let's say you did go and resolve that thing where it needs to be resolved rather mm-hmm. than the person that's in front of you because then that can then change your boundary. Once that is resolved, you may no longer have that boundary because you've kind of cleaned it up, which is really interesting. Cause I've had that experience where I was like, had all these protection, all this like mm-hmm. boundaries around me, whether I was communicating them or not, but I didn't resolve it with the person that those kind of triggers came from. And when mm-hmm. I did, I didn't have as much of those, as many of those walls up, um, yes. which is interesting. I was gonna, I was just thinking about when you were speaking, like I, I was wondering I guess it's tied into what I just said is like the flip side of it is like, what are the consequences of having too many boundaries? And if they're based upon our experiences, then how do you navigate living life when you have too many things (laughs) kind of protecting you and then you can't (laughs) be free to live? Does that Mm -hmm. make sense?
2: It does. And in that instance, and this is one of those aspects of when and where I think boundaries get a bad rep. Mm -hmm. That's the interpretation that boundaries are walls. Right. That they are walls that I've erected and they keep me safe. Boundaries are the drawbridge. That's what they are. You get to decide when they get lifted up because something needs to be addressed. We need to talk about this. We need to clarify expectations versus this is when they can lay down and allow for that transference to happen. So when we have the view of a brick wall versus a drawbridge, that can create an imbalance because when it comes to respecting your boundaries, the only person who's obligated to do that is you. Other people get to decide how willing they are to meet them and their behavior will express that clearly. And if you've set up so many non-negotiable boundaries that people don't feel like they have enough room to be themselves in your presence, they will inevitably start to distance themselves. And I'll say that's relatively rare. People start to learn, okay, okay, this is actually a non-negotiable versus, oh, this is a preference. Because that can be the confusion Is a boundary is never a suggestion or a preference. It's a non-negotiable. It has to be something that's important enough to engage in that kind of uncomfortable conversation around.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I, was, I was curious about this before we even jumped on the call. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know what my question is, but I'll just say this. <laughs> um, well, let, let me rephrase. So mm-hmm. so when you're dealing with clients or people in your life, for instance, what comes up around boundaries with parents? Because I've had a lot of challenges <laughs> <knowledge> around <from> this. <laughs> Take a deep breath. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: that's an interesting one.
1: (laughs) Because it's also like a way longer relationship for the most part. Yes. So,
3: and also we're in this time right now where there needs to probably be new boundaries created mm -hmm. because, you know, especially if we're living with our parents during quarantine or self-isolation, or maybe a partner? hmm
2: yes. The parent relationship is an interesting one because the feelings there are deep, but we didn't necessarily have a say in the matter. So, of course, there are instances where people have chosen to separate themselves from that relationship for people who are still in relationship with their parents, the waters of boundaries can be very murky because it's this interesting dynamic where the feelings run deep. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of ingrained patterns. They were part of establishing your initial viewpoint on normal. And as you grow older and gain more autonomy and become your own person with agency, you start to deconstruct your previous worldview and erect your own. And that's when and where there can be some confusion. So, I always go back to this thought that the best way to change another person's behavior is to change yourself. And when it comes to parent work specifically, I often look to, you know, Dan Savage, he's a writer. Yeah. He coined this term called the price of admission. Have you heard about this?
1: I don't know, I don't think so, tell me.
2: It's an interesting theory and it really applies to the parental dynamic where you have to decide for yourself within the different relationships in your life, what is the price of admission you're willing to pay in order to just be in relationship. So he talks about how, you know, maybe leaving a damp towel on the bathroom floor isn't gonna be the deal breaker if you love your messy partner despite how neat and organized you keep your household. So there's that inevitable give and take. And in the parental dynamic, that's where we actually tend to pay the highest price of admission because there's only so much we can do but we have to get really clear on what are the things that we find irksome or annoying or a little bit tiring (laughs) or a little old versus yeah, everything. (laughs) What could cause a fundamental rift? So what about their behavior could truly compromise your relationship with them? Those things are worth addressing. So, you know, if your dad, has a tendency to be floppy or lazy and that's driving you a little bit up the wall within let's say the confines of quarantine. That might be something that to a certain degree you have to live with, you have to decide for yourself what am I gonna be responsible for versus what is his responsibility. But what a non-negotiable might look like would be if you have an elderly relative who you wanna maintain relationship with but they have some really problematic ideas about the LGBTQ plus community or black people. And if they think it's okay to sit at the dinner table and spew that kind of rhetoric, that can't be something that you tolerate. That has to be that non-negotiable and you decide what do I do in the face of this? Do I try engaging them in productive discourse? Do I tell them that that's off the table and create a consequence for what I will do when they cross that line? Or is this actually a relationship I need to distance myself from because I can see from their choices, they're not willing to meet and respect that boundary. So you have to clarify for yourself, what is a non-negotiable? What is going to create a serious rift in our relationship versus what do I find annoying, but I can offload by turning around and rolling my eyes. I do that a lot with my parents where <laughs> I turn around, I roll my eyes and then I'm, I'm past it versus Oh shit! This is actually changing the way I see you, and because I love you, this is worth having an uncomfortable conversation about. Did that help
3: at all? Yeah, that's that's helpful. It also just really points out that like sometimes a boundary, or I think maybe oftentimes the "let me know if you know if you know" is. Oops, sorry.
1: Okay. There we go. Having some some. <laughs> I I can hear you. Say it again. Sean, I didn't hear you at all.
3: Okay. So that reminds me about um, the fact that, I don't know if you'll agree or not, but a boundary is not really about what the other person does. It's about what you're going to do. And that's very much like an Al-Anon principle, um, a codependency principle. It's like you create the action in your boundary And who cares what the other person does? Yes.
2: Yeah. And you have to get really realistic and honest with yourself. What am I willing and able to do? And that might look like walking away. So actually leaving the space if and when the behavior comes up. It might look like engaging in that uncomfortable conversation, which is generally the recommended first step. It might be cutting them off and switching the topic you have to get so clear on what the consequences of that choice and the consequences always what you are going to do when that line is crossed and i think people struggle with that they think boundaries work is done if they turn to their sister and say you have to stop doing that because i don't like it no if there's no consequence all that you've done is make a suggestion you haven't actually set a boundary and you've done the other person a disservice because they're not clear that this is a non-negotiable. They don't understand how important it is or how it might impact your relationship moving forward unless there's a consequence attached to it. Right. Yeah. Oh, and I do wanna say, because I, when it comes to consequences, my favorite sentiment is, consequences do not negate compassion. That was something I struggled with a lot in my own abusive dynamic. And I want anyone out there who's listening, who needs to hear it, to hear it. Consequences do not negate compassion. You are not lacking compassion by upholding a consequence. You're doing the opposite for both yourself and the other party.
1: Yeah. Thank you for saying that. That's a big yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Really. Because I think that people mix up the fact that you need to kind of, um, basically just speak your mind about what you need and what you're to- what, you'll, what you'll tolerate and they mix that up into like morality or like how the other person's going to think of them or being nice and it's like a whole mm-hmm. jump this um yes. i ran into that a lot when i was younger and just didn't know like i was just like well if i tell them that then that means that i'm being a bitch or i'm doing this or yep. doing whatever um mm-hmm. But yeah, I just think that there's such a huge impact when you're not, when you're kind of making a mess of all of those different um, emotions and communications, I guess you would say.
2: Oh, yeah. And we were taught the opposite of boundaries in our formative years. We were taught to be nice. We were taught to prioritize politeness. So then as we grew up and lines started to be crossed and we started to realize for ourselves what was okay and what wasn't. We didn't have the tools to express that productively. And again, that's not to throw previous generations under the bus. They didn't have those things either. But now that we know better, we can start to do better. And I see it and I hear it in the way that people are starting to raise children, talking about consent, allowing them to decide whether they want to give someone a hug or not, Actually, allowing them to ride the feelings that are associated with a tantrum. It's interesting how it's starting to shift, but we're so on the brink of this conversation. It's still so new, but it's so, so, so important. And I created a workbook about boundaries that literally starts with a section on nice, unpacking your relationship with the word nice, because if you don't undo that, you can't start to establish. This new skill. There's a lot of unraveling that needs to happen before you can start building up this new ability, and it goes back to those formative years. It's a really interesting topic to dig into.
1: Yeah, I think we kind of we kind of um, are more concerned. Like, I think that we think that if we're, I think that like you can be kind without having to be nice. Yes. You know, like you you can be um really clear about your communication in a way mm-hmm. that's not angry and freaking out and swearing and like you know the whole nine yeah without having to be nice and i think that that's something that a lot of people i mean i just hear within everyone in my life that mm-hmm. a lot of people struggle with and and just even just having those uncomfortable conversations like we're just so uncomfortable even having those conversations exactly heard in a world where it was like either yelling or nothing like there's no oh, yeah on. yeah and so,
2: that's most people's experience unfortunately yeah.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's not fun, and it's not not a pretty feeling to feel like you can't just like sit down and have a normal conversation. Yes, Um, I I don't know where I'm going with that, but that's just what what comes up for me because it's all about communication. What we're talking about. Oh yes,
2: a hundred percent. And I even I mention this in the work I do, whether it's in the workbook with individuals, because we don't have a really solid history when it comes to communicating our way through discomfort or hardship or conflict, when you start to do this work, the likelihood of everyone else in your life doing it at the same time is slim to none. So the chances are extremely high that the first few times you attempt to set a boundary with someone, they're going to hate it. They're not going to like it. They're going to get defensive. They're going to fall back into whatever their pattern is. So that spectrum that you just described, we either move towards avoidancy, that can look like stonewalling or saying one thing and meaning another, or it can look like aggression, defensiveness or yelling. And in the middle of that spectrum is that assertive approach, which is I'm going to express clearly my point of view and hold space for yours. It's that genuine curiosity about another person's perspective without compromising what's important to you And the first few times you try to sit down with someone to have a conversation like that, they will react. There's a lot of reactivity tangled up in conflict. All of us have at least two decades worth of unraveling to do. That's an inevitability. But what you can do for that person, rather than start to spiral into self-doubt, oh, I did this wrong. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I'm not nice. Oh, they think I'm a bitch, is to have the conversation. Be uncomfortable for the few minutes you're called to be uncomfortable. State what needs to be stated and then return to normal and your own behavior can showcase for the other person that engaging in uncomfortable conversations doesn't mean you're mad, doesn't mean there's a fight, doesn't mean that you've called their character into question. I remember working with one woman who was really focused on boundary setting with her partner and what she started to do after having a conversation that caused some defensiveness and a bit of a shutdown in him would be to give him at least 20 minutes to process because it takes us about 20 minutes to get from our reactive lizard brains back to the more grounded frontal lobe. She'd give him 20 minutes and then she would pop her head into the room and say, I'm going to put tea on. Do you want some? And she'd see him kind of react and go, oh, I, Oh, uh, sure. Yes, I'd like a tea. And just with her reestablishment of normal, slowly but surely, she was showing him, when I express a need to you, when I express discomfort, when I engage in you with this way, I'm not looking for a fight. I'm actually looking to avoid one. And she didn't even have to say it. She just had to show with her behavior. This isn't a fight. This is actually what we should have been doing all along. But our parents didn't know how to model that because they weren't doing it. So it's, it's interesting work. It's multifaceted for sure. It's going to take time.
1: I think it's such a good point to bring up because I've done exactly this. I mean, I haven't, I need to start getting back into that work, but <laughs> I've done a lot of this with my parents, but um, exactly that is what happened. Like the first few times you're approaching them in this different way, they're like, mm-hmm. what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Like, you read, right? It's the whole, like, they'll either mock it or whatever the hell comes yes. out um but then you have to be willing to go up against that and continue to do it that's what you have to be willing to do because the uncomfortableness is going to happen regardless especially Mm -hmm. when you're talking to people in a different way um but you have to be willing to like know that sometimes it's going to be confronting to know that they're going to be like you're you're acting weird this isn't what i know right yeah continue to push through that i guess i I guess i should say because exactly what you said is really right on and not yeah
2: Oh, it's not easy, but again, it (laughs) comes back. The only way to change another person is to change your own behavior. That's it. That's the only way you can start to change the dynamic. And it sucks and it's uncomfortable and it's hard, but it is so worth it because if you're not doing that, you're either falling into patterns where you're having the same fights again and again and again and there's never resolution or it's not being addressed. You're compartmentalizing. And that resentment is starting to build and brew. And a lot of people who take that approach because it feels, and I'm going to use finger quotes nicer to sweep it under the rug, to turn a blind eye, to let it go. They tuck it away and it just hides between their rib cage. And then something innocuous happens. Maybe it's two months later or 10 years into the marriage and suddenly The other person is the villain to their victim and they have a blowout fight. You've been doing this for five years and the other person's like, what? I didn't know that for the past five years, you thought I was a piece of shit. And that (laughs) conversation is so hard to come back from. The minute that it's become, you are the villain to my victim. Ooh, that takes a lot of repair work versus I'm gonna be fucking uncomfortable for five minutes and then I'm gonna offer them a tea and we're gonna be slowly but surely resuming a new normal that works better for both of us.
1: Yeah, I, it's, 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 I, this is a, like, more, I needed to hear this more than I even realized today. Oh. <laughs> Same. Yeah, I think it's just such I also. sorry, go ahead, Sean.
3: Oh, it's okay, go ahead, Bianca. It's already gone. I forgot it already. <laughs> I was just going to say, um, as someone who's a recovering codependent, um, boundaries are really challenging, really, really challenging. And they come from a place of like, it actually doesn't feel safe to, um, initiate conflict. Mm -hmm. And the brain wants to go, the brain wants to tell me, this is like, you don't do this if you want to survive. Right. Yes. So, um, I think it's so amazing that you, your title is self advocacy coach mm-hmm. and in that, in that container is boundaries because yeah. self advocacy feels like it's more of a step one of the process of boundaries. Mm-hmm. So to be able to create a boundary I need to, to feel like I need to advocate enough for my own self-worth mm-hmm. and I need to have enough self-love. I need to connect to self, which is the opposite of codependency, to be able to mm-hmm. know that that is safe to set a boundary. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about like what are some other components in the container of self advocacy because I could imagine like a boundary for some is a pretty advanced mm-hmm. it's a pretty advanced action you know I would imagine that like you know in the the lowest points of my codependency to even define my values and what I wanted to advocate or create mm-hmm. a boundary for. I couldn't see there was too much fogginess in front of that. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, you're in a state of like, Bianca laughs all the time when we talk about this, but I made a codependency joke at our house. We were like watching TV or something. And she's like, what do you want to watch? Like,
1: what did I say? <laughs> I was like, so what do you want to watch? And I was, I don't <laughs> We were having this conversation all day, so that's the that's the context. She didn't say it out of nowhere, but it was really perfect time. And I was like, "So, what do you want to watch?" And I was making a few suggestions, and she's like, "Well, it doesn't matter what I want." And I burst. <laughs> It was totally a joke. I burst out laughing and I kid not was not I couldn't stop laughing for like 20 minutes. I was like, that is insane. And she's like, it's true. And it was just so interesting because we were talking about that all day long. And it's like, even even though you're completely aware and coherent about that being your behavior, it doesn't mean that it's easy to change. No. So I just thought that was the funniest shit ever. But anyway. <laughs>
3: I'm glad you can get so much joy out of my codependency <laughs> and self Well, we actually did watch
1: what you suggested. What was it? Uh, some this... yoga talk.
3: Oh. Sounds <laughs> about right. We turned off the Sopranos that Bianca wanted to watch. <laughs> we put on a yoga talk.
1: <laughs> Listen, that show will show you how to get create some boundaries. So I'll watch the yoga you watch Tony, and we'll meet somewhere in the middle.
3: <laughs> That's so Tony great. No problem. <laughs> no. no. Oh. My my boundaries muse. I always tell uh, Bianca this. My boundaries muse is uh, Susie from Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> I love that you have a muse. <laughs> it's a fucking horrible muse. <laughs> <laughs> Why? She's like, if she doesn't like something Larry da- David does, she's like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's the epitome of a boundary. <laughs> oh my
1: god. Yeah, but it's interesting because that's the epitome of a boundary for you because you don't express your boundaries at all. So you're going from zero to 100. <laughs> <It's
3: true>. <laughs> zero <laughs> it's a
1: hundred. True. Zero to Susie. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Susie. Yeah, <that's> good. <laughs> <sighs> Oh my okay. Help me, Megan. Help me. <laughs> Help
1: us. <laughs> Don't you see? Look at us. We're not people.
2: <laughs> this is the epitome of people. <laughs> there's, I'm so glad you asked this question because you're so right that it's not as easy to say. Here's the formula. Go do it. Because truly, there's about 10 years worth, 20 years worth of unraveling that needs to happen. And I don't mean you need to unravel for 20 years before you can try. The trying is part of the unraveling, but it's hard, 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 uncomfortable work. And usually when I'm working with people in more of a one-on-one capacity, the work before we even touch boundaries starts with assessing limiting beliefs. So what are the stories that you're telling yourself? And in many ways, this becomes the deconstruction of the previous worldview so it's that inner architecture where you take a step back and go i want to take a look at this edifice that exists within me and decide for myself is that necessary do i like that do i need that or no and you start to revisit when were these things established who was the original architect and do you still want them to be part of your fundamental being or you want to put a new twist on it and sometimes it might be I want to replace the countertop in that room versus I want to tear down that whole section of the house and I want to rebuild it in my way and that's a very poetic way of looking at it but it really helps me understand how arduous this process can be really assessing what the limiting beliefs are and it all begins with starting to recognize what the voices say to you when you are in a darker place. So when you're feeling frustrated, insecure, when you're grappling with self-doubt, when you feel ashamed, what do the voices say? And this is where writing practices come in really handy. So starting to have that conversation between you and your internal self, what do those voices say? And you really kind of need to take a moment to face just how vicious you can be to yourself. And then from there, with all of your life's experience, with all of the wisdom, you can look at those things in front of you and reassess and reevaluate and say, am I willing to accept this as true? Could I prove this as true if I were to take it into a court? If I were to take it to some universal court and say, It is impossible to love me. Would that hold up in court or would you not have the evidence that would prove that? And in fact, would there be evidence that would contradict it? And starting to explore in that way, the limiting beliefs. And from there, how can we reshape our worldview? And again, digging into the notion of nice, all of those old obligations that were placed upon us. What are you willing to shed in order to grow? There's a a reestablishment and a reevaluation that needs to happen from the beginning. And you really have to be ready to do the work. You have to want to do it because if you don't, you won't. If the way that you're operating is still working for you, even a little bit, the likelihood is that it will continue. The people I tend to work with are the people who are really sick of their own shit, who can look at their life and say, what what was previously working for me is not working anymore and i want to do something different and then they get to decide what that different needs to
1: entail can i just go back to one thing that you said and offer this mm-hmm. as, i mean as well i think what yeah. you said at the very beginning everything you said is, is so right on but i also think what you said at the beginning is like even though it is hard sean to do and it's not comfortable the first thing that Megan said is like you have to just do it anyway because it's like someone like you especially when you know all of these things you know so much information you know about all these lineage different lineages and you know about so much healing and all of that stuff
3: mm-hmm. all of that
1: information isn't an experience so you need to take the information, but also apply it. And I think that's a step that we, a lot of us miss is like, we listen to all the podcasts and read all the books and I'm including myself in this as well. It's like, we all do it. We, we take in all the information, but if you can't actually apply it and actually set the fucking boundary, mm-hmm. use it. Right. Sure. Even though it might be uncomfortable. And, and it's also, I think really important to know that like, you're not in those unsafe relationships anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like the people you're going to be setting those boundaries with, aren't the same people that, you know, you formed a lot of that trauma with. And I think that that's a big part of it too.
3: Yeah, that's so true. And it's, it's amazing that you point that out, Bianca, because right now my favorite quote that I'm using all the time with people I'm working with is the, you know, you just got to do it like that contrary action, esteemable action leads to Mm -hmm. self-esteem. Why is it my favorite quote right now? Because I needed the most. (laughs) But it's true. It's just like, just do it. Just like, It's the esteemable action and that enough esteemable action will lead to the self-love. It'll leave, lead to the self-esteem. It will lead to the, you know, I am innately good Mm -hmm. and I am worthy of creating a boundary that is aligned with my values. Yes. And a reframe
2: that can really help. And I say this from my own experience because I know that, you know, that I've grappled with codependency as well is, I'm not engaging in conflict, I'm engaging in the resolution. And that reframe can really prompt me to step up and do the uncomfortable thing. And it gives people the opportunity to show you who they are. And knowing you and how generous and how light you are, leading with that, I'm gonna make the most generous assumption that the person on the receiving end of this conversation, even if they're resistant to it at first, deep down wants to hear, wants to know, and wants to meet me in this resolution. So rather than I'm engaging in conflict and that feels unsafe, I'm engaging in the resolution and this is important.
3: Wow, that is such a powerful reframing. Yeah. Thank you, wow.
1: Yeah, I think that's a huge piece that, is missing from a lot of these kind of conversations is like Mm -hmm. you're you're entering the conversation feeling like this is going to be like a conflict and an issue deep down both of you actually want the resolution so that's
0: communicated
1: i think that's amazing
2: yeah i dedicated a whole page to the workbook to the sentiment most people don't suck because We hesitate so much because we're so afraid of the conflict or what might be confirmed. That's always the uncertain fear is what if I set this boundary and they continue to cross that line? What if something terrible is confirmed about them or our relationship? There's this unspoken fear. But if you can remember that, that most people will want to meet you where you are. Most people want to do their best Most people want to arrive at collaborative solutions and are willing to collaborate with you. These conversations allow for that to happen. Again, not without some initial discomfort or resistance or defensiveness, but you'll get there and you'll grow and the connection will deepen. But in our past, we've learned to associate conflict with a disconnect. But if conflict is handled respectfully, if conflict is addressing behavior and not character, If conflict is focused on the solution and not being right, it has the potential to really deepen and bolster connection with another. And if and when in those rare, rare instances, when you set a boundary and someone continues to cross that line because they're either unable or unwilling to be respectful of it, I can say from my own experience with the partner that abused me, the minute that that was confirmed through his behavior i didn't want to be in a relationship with that person anyhow so it's scary it's uncomfortable but it's important and more often than not when it's handled in that way the resolution it really does deepen the connection and allows you two to meet each other in a more respectful safe relationship because that's part of safety is establishing healthy parameters for one another and if we can start to create a norm around that all of our relationships will become so much better for it
1: yeah and I think a lot of the times there will be instances where the person can't meet up to like can't Mm -hmm. live up to that boundary That happened a lot that happened a lot for me yeah it makes the decision to know what to do next a lot clearer. It's not cloudy anymore. It's like, okay, I've created the boundary. You can't, we've tried, it's not happening. Yeah. Keep getting crossed. And it makes it, it makes it actually a lot simpler to be like, okay, I, I, I can see what I got to do here now. Instead mm-hmm. of like, shouldn't I, I don't know why mm-hmm. I feel like this and all that. Right? It's yeah. Like, a big thing. Mm-hmm. I just
3: want to acknowledge your, the page that you have in your book. Most people don't, don't, don't.
1: Sorry microphone shoes today
3: oh no Who's was the remix maybe the the microphone is sick of my voice like i am <laughs> anyways <laughs> um i've been doing so many talks lately i'm just like shut up already <laughs> I know.
2: no i love your voice <laughs> thank you thank I you love both of your voices
3: thank <laughs> you good <laughs> podcast voices and that is important i've had to stop listening to audiobooks if i can't handle the tone yeah yeah mm-hmm. Um, but I was going to say, I love that. Like most people don't suck because if you, if you believe that many people are out to get you, you, you are in victim consciousness. Right. And that's like, that's something that you need to adjust. I used to be like that. I, I would think that most people were trying to fuck me over. Mm -hmm. and the reason why I'm not shaming myself for being Mm -hmm. that way, it was a a protection method. It's a trauma response. Yeah, it's a trauma response. It's something Mm -hmm. I developed that made me feel safe at that time, and then as I started doing the work, I realized, whoa, that's victim consciousness, Mm -hmm. and guess what? We get addicted to victim consciousness, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Yep,
2: yeah. Our brains love that beginning and middle and ending of the story, and if when we're in a place of uncertainty or we feel afraid, we would so much rather be in the position of victim.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, this has been illuminating, and I so love Illum-
3: <laughs> Hey, I thought it'd be cool to play a fun game where we give you a scenario. Oh boy! <laughs> I'll say like what I think the boundary should be, and then you correct us. <laughs> So we might have very different boundaries, and but boundaries. we'll do it. We'll do like a COVID version. Okay.
1: <laughs> is this is going to be remarkable because Tony Soprano boundaries have been crossed.
3: Consequences <laughs> in quarantine. So I let's do.
1: I'll give us my. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. You can't. No, it keeps going like a like a, 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 a techno song.
3: Can you hear me now? Yeah. Now, yes. Okay. So. <laughs> I wanted to like hold the mic, but I guess I can't. <laughs> <Anyways>. <laughs> so I'll give a scenario. I'll give what I would do and then mm-hmm. you know, i you give what you would do. And, can...
1: and we have to be really honest. Like, no, this isn't our like, Ooh, let's be like totally healthy. I'm going to give you my honest, like, how Okay. yes.
3: Okay. So this actually happened to me. I was at the grocery store and I was waiting in line. And there is like the, you know, the stickers on the ground that say, keep your social distancing. And this very cute old man came up to me. Very cute old man. He had no teeth (laughs) and was producing a lot of saliva. And he came right in my face.
1: Right. Right
3: in my face to ask where the pepper is. (laughs) (laughs) So, I stood there, <laughs> picturing all the moist drops <laughs> all over my face, and I said, I'm sorry, I, I don't really know where the saliva is. <laughs> you said saliva? <laughs> Did you say saliva? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Ever. <laughs> no, wait. You didn't really say saliva in real life, did you?
3: No, I said pepper.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> you just fucked up right now, right? Because that would have been so good if you said that in real. Life.
3: No, I said pepper. <laughs> Sorry, I don't really know where the COVID nineteen is. <laughs>
2: the saliva was in the moisture droplets
1: in the air yeah what you did was the situation that wasn't supposed to happen happened Mm -hmm. and you just answered the question and didn't actually acknowledge that he should have been standing back
3: yeah okay Mm
1: -hmm. you want to know what i would have done yeah Yeah, i was gonna give you a different answer if you didn't tell me it was an old guy no wait no it happened to me recently at walmart i did i said can you please stand back and i put my arm out he said oh okay I think that sometimes they're just not consciously thinking like, Oh, I didn't realize I was so close to you, but that's really close up. So
3: it was in my face.
1: I think I would have done that. Can you please stand back? And I might've, might've added a fuck in there, but if he was old, I probably wouldn't have.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I love
2: that old is a factor here. Your boundaries can vary based on the dynamic based on the relationship. And I use an example of how it might be okay for, an old woman who owns a bodega to call you sweetheart or baby, but if your boss did, fuck no, that crosses a line. So they will vary from person to person. Depends
1: how hot my boss is. I'm not (laughs) (laughs) Oh
3: my (laughs) God.
2: You see, see? the boundaries change all the time. (laughs) Age? No, it's 100% true. Look at all the shit that really good looking men get away with. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but age is absolutely a factor. And what I would ask is, what about that situation
3: was not okay? Well, you know what I just realized Mm -hmm. um, after this conversation is it was not compassionate and loving of me to myself and to him to just allow him to do that because he might get the virus from me. Yep. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. See, this is why it's so good to work with self-aware people
2: because you already arrived at the conclusion. Of, <laughs> I tried to be nice in the moment and realized in hindsight, there had been a miss and rather than shaming yourself for that, because that's unproductive. If there is that recognition, if there's maybe that momentary guilt of, Ooh, I wish I had done something differently. Great. Do with that information, what you will moving forward. Now I know moving forward, even though it might not feel nice. I know the kind thing, the compassionate, the important thing to do is to remind that elderly person that distance is for their safety as well as mine. Mm. And you can put your compassionate, loving energy into a statement like that.
1: I think it's even bigger, too, than mm-hmm. just compassion for yourself and compassion for him, because it might have been a really quick interaction. So like maybe you didn't even have them, like maybe he asked you the question and you answered and that was done. It was two seconds, right? Yep. <clears throat> But then if you maybe have would have created the boundary, then then the next time he would have done it to someone else mm-hmm. he would have thought twice. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like even bigger than just the impact on you and the other person. It's also like more of like a collective impact, because if, if nobody tells him, then he's not correcting his. Maybe it's unconsciously coming up to people and not and not realizing it. So it's like that's how this shit gets spread straight up right there. Right. So it's like not creating the boundary.
2: And again, more often than not, someone in that moment is going to go, oh, shit, sorry, and respect it. They'll take a step back. And like Bianca said, moving forward, they'll be mindful of that. But then you might be dealing with someone who's like, oh, that's bullshit. And then you don't feel compelled to be so nice to them anyway, because you recognize the rift.
1: Yeah. 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 That's what happened to me at Walmart.
3: (laughs) Oh, yeah. You got into a Walmart dispute.
1: Yeah. very. It was very American.
3: (laughs) on youtube somewhere oh, yeah <laughs> wow thank you you boundaries angel mm-hmm. well, thank you so much for
2: having me i love your podcast and i love speaking with you and it was so lovely to speak with you and to meet you like this bianca it was really really really, really cool
1: yeah me too and i really i think uh, like i said i needed to hear this more than i thought I did because it's like you know you have the kind of you, you might have like some of these thoughts floating around in your mind but then when you say them out loud it kind of reaffirms what work you need to be living into and it's not just like some thoughts kind of floating in the air it kind of helps you um for me like realign in a lot of areas that I need to mm-hmm. like you know when you do a bunch of work and you're like oh, I'm good now everything's good the relationships <laughs> forget that you have to keep coming back and doing yeah, more yeah. um yeah so really great convo i think a lot i think a lot of people will get a lot out of this so thank you
2: oh good i'm so glad yeah thank you thank uh. you very
0: much friends homeboys some of them we wish we never knew at all home girls say some of them we wish we never knew at all homeboys See, some of them we wish we never knew at all homeboys and some of them we wish we never knew at all home girls see some of them we wish we never knew at all homeboys is some of them we wish we never knew homeboys I'm in the kitchen I'm cooking and some of them we wish we never knew, knew at all home girls Say someone so and we wish we never knew at all, homeboys. Flipping and switches and bitches. Say someone and we wish we never knew at all, homeboys. Never the life of the party. someone and we wish we never knew at all, homegirls. Say someone and we wish we never knew at all, homeboys. Say someone that we wish we never knew at all, friends. It's where we use every day most of the time we use it in the wrong way friends that where we use every day but most of the time we use it in the wrong way you rest that where we use every day but most of the time we use it in the wrong way friends that where we use every day but most of the time we use it in you know baby in the love you missing a good thing because i'm you my